Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 as we begin the last chapter of the book of 1 Thessalonians. So we should be through this book in another five or six weeks, and so we will be wrapping up the book of 1 Thessalonians. Our text this morning will be verses 1 to 3, but I want to read verses 1 to 11 in order to put our passage into context this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Now as to the time and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that the day would overtake it like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us to wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. There ends the reading of God's word this morning. Join with me in prayer before we tackle this text this morning. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us with the expectation that we can understand it. And you have given us the Holy Spirit again to illuminate its truth so that we can know it for sure. And so again this morning as we look at your word, again we pray that your Holy Spirit would be the teacher, that he would illuminate the truths of this word, and that we would again be willing to take these truths and to apply them to our lives. So I pray that you will be glorified in the preaching and the hearing of your word here this morning, I pray in your name. Amen. We live in a time where, for most, if we were to look at the visible church, want to give you a positive message. After all, life is difficult. We certainly wouldn't want you to go to church and be confronted with anything that was difficult, anything that makes you uncomfortable. After all, we want to make sure that we, there's a positive message that will attract people to come to church because we want to make sure that, that we don't force them away by anything difficult. And so most of the preaching that you will hear is stuff that is about you and how God wants to help you and how he wants to make your life better. And in fact, it would be, you know, it's not that we, as one speaker said, it's not that we don't talk about sin. It's just there's so many other things to talk about. 
Yet if we were to look at Scripture and we were to actually start to read it and to start to understand it, we would see that there's this concept that runs through Scripture, and it's a concept called the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. And this day of the Lord consistently is demonstrated through Scripture to be a time of judgment. Now, there's also blessings that accompany it, but there is also judgment. And in fact, it is something that runs so much through Scripture that it must be a major theme of Scripture and is something that we actually need to preach. And so those who will never preach judgment are leaving out part of the Bible and part of what God has laid down as a warning in Scripture for unbelievers and a call for them to come to God because they must recognize that they are not people, good people who God loves the way they are, but they are sinners who are under his wrath. And if there's not a change, they will face that wrath. Now, the day of the Lord, again, has maybe not been preached because it is a complicated subject. And just like most doctrines in Scripture, you don't have a Bible that's laid out doctrinally that will give you a full understanding of a concept or an idea or a doctrine in Scripture in one place. So when you turn to Scripture, you don't, you don't turn to the back here and say, I want to find the day of the Lord, and then you find it everything about the day of the Lord laid out. And as always in Scripture, when we have a, a doctrine that's given and teaching that is given, it is, used, it is given for a practical reason. It is normally given by a pastor, for, by a pastoral heart for people for some practical reason. So as we look at the day of the Lord here and the truths of it, we see why he's written it in verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you are also doing. So he's not giving us ideas about the day of the Lord just so that you can fill out some eschatological chart or so that you can have the full idea about it. However, the day of the Lord is a difficult concept to understand. And in fact, as we read scriptures, we're going to read some scriptures and it's going to appear as we read about the day of the Lord, it has something to do with a day, a judgment of nations, and it takes place. We have warnings about the day of the Lord and we have warnings about judgment that's to come. There are times where the day of the Lord seems like a 24-hour day. There are days where the day of the Lord seems to be a specific event. Sometimes it seems like a long period of time. And so as we look at Scripture, we, we can, it can be hard to figure out what the day of the Lord is. And in fact, it has been something that has been debated out throughout the church. What is the day of the Lord? Is it narrow? Is it, is it wide? What is it? Well, when we went through Joel, and when we went through the book of Joel, not the chapter of Joel, but the book of Joel, we looked and we saw that in chapter 3, there was, there was the idea that there was judgment and blessing that comes together. In other words, there is, there is going to be judgment that comes with the day of the Lord, and there's going to be blessings. And in fact, what we would see is that there's judgment that comes, and then there's going to be blessings that are given, uh, to the nation of Israel, and these, these uh, blessings 
are what we would understand to be millennial kingdom blessings. In other words, they are blessings that are given to the nation of Israel as the land is restored, as Israel is restored, and covers that time of the millennium. And so, as we come to Scripture then, we want to know which part of this day of the Lord is he talking about, Because it would seem, it would appear to me, and I would understand this to be true, I'll put it that way, that the day of the Lord is wide and narrow. There we go, wide and narrow. In other words, I think that the day of the Lord in its widest concept starts at the beginning of the rapture and through the tribulation all the way through the end of the millennial kingdom and the rebellion and Christ putting it down. Now, others have said, well, it's actually narrower. It's just the tribulation or it's just the battle at the end of the millennial kingdom. Some have said, well, this is just Christ returning. But I would understand that there is a broad day of the Lord. And then there are events that we see within that broad day that are specific and called the day of the Lord. But they don't encompass everything that the day of the Lord is. So as we come here this morning, as we look at the day of the Lord then, I would understand that as he speaks, he is primarily speaking about the beginning of the judgment that starts at the rapture and continues through the great tribulation. And so the concern is, when does the day of the Lord start? They wanted to know when the rapture was, and now they want to know when is the day of the Lord start. And they have some concerns about the day of the Lord specifically around timing and what will take place with the day of the Lord. So that's a lot of introduction. <laughs> so he, this morning then, as we come to this passage, we are going to see, as we go through verses 1 to 3, we are going to see several things about the day of the Lord. First of all, we're going to see the testimony to the day of the Lord in verse 1. We will see that it's been, it, we don't need to, anything to be written to you. In other words, nothing needs to be written to you because what? It's already been testified to. You've already heard it. Then as he comes on, he says in verse 2, we're going to give you the timing of the day of the Lord. And he's going to say it's going to come like a thief in the night. And then as we get to verse 3, we're really going to see the target of the day of the Lord. And again, we're speaking of the day of the Lord in the fact of a time of judgment here that begins at the beginning of the tribulational period. So we will see these three things about the day of the Lord as Paul begins to answer the Thessalonians' concerns about the day of the Lord. So first of all, we'll see the testimony to the day of the Lord. And he says in verse 5, Now as to the time and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. So again, he is, he is now changing topics here. He goes now, which is, which is a word that changes the topic. And again, he, we've, he's used this over through Scripture in this book to change topics. He did it in verse 9. Now as to the love of the brethren. After talking about sexual purity, he says now to the love of the brethren. And now he's addressing a new area of concern. Now it's related to the last one about the rapture and the snatching away of the church, but it is, it is a new topic. And again, he uses this word brethren, which he continues to use when he introduces 
a new topic. And so, again, we would understand that he is changing topics and he is looking at something different. Now, if you look at that first words, he says, as to the time and epochs, again, you can hear the familiar words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1. Remember when he was on, before he was going up to heaven, right? He said, they asked him, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus replied to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. In other words, there are future events that are defined by by these terms, by the times and epochs. And again, he says here, there is this times and epochs. Now, as to the times, you have no need to be written. Now, times has the idea of time, like chronological time. And epochs has the idea of events that take place. So to put it together, they want to know what time this is going to take place, and they want to know what, what's, what events will take place in the future. So if I was, it's like when we have seasons here, epochs is seasons. So we would say, and I forget the day, and I was actually going to look it up, but we have on our calendar a day where summer starts, right? We have a time and we have a season. And so they want to know, when is this day of the Lord going to start? And how long is it? What, What is the season? What's going to take place? And so Paul says to them, now as to the time and the epochs, to the things that are in the future, the time events, and again, this is why we understand they're concerned about timing, you have no need of anything to be written to you. Now again, he says, I don't have to write anything to you. Now, this is different than when he was in verse 4, chapter 4, verse 13. When we went through there, he said to them, actually, you don't know. I, 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 brothers, I do not want you to be what? Uninformed. There's something that you don't know, something that has not been revealed to you. And he says, by something that's been revealed to me by God, I'm going to reveal it to you. But here he says, actually, you don't need to know. You don't need to know. There's nothing that needs to be written to you. Now that's interesting. Because before he said, I had revelation that was given to me and I'm giving it to you so you're not uninformed. Here he says, you already know. And so he says, well, how would they already know about the day of the Lord? Well, I want us to think about this just a little bit. And I, I mentioned it in, in the opening. The day of the Lord is not, the, this is not the first time that it has been spoken. In fact, if we were to go back, as one person pointed out, the, day of the, the first reference to the day of the Lord comes 800 years before Paul. 750 years before Christ by the prophet Amos. He's the first one, and again, we have to understand that our books in the Bible are not put in there chronologically. And so 
But he is the first one who actually spoke of this. That shepherd is from Israel, ministered in the 8th century. And so he's the first one who mentioned this in, Acts chap- in Amos chapter 5. We have that very first reference in Revelation And he speaks about the day of the Lord. And so if we were to look at Amos chapter 5, you would hear him speak about the day of the Lord. He says, Alas, you who are longing for what? The day of the Lord. For what purpose will will the day of the Lord be to you? It will be darkness and not light. And a man, and when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him and goes home and leans on his hand against the wall and a snake bites him, will not the day of the Lord be darkness instead of light, even gloom with no brightness in it? And again, he's referring to that time of judgment during the tribulational period. And he says, here, here is the day of the Lord. Here is that judgment that is spoken of. And you can trace it through the prophets as they speak of this. Isaiah 13, 6. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It has come as destruction from the Almighty. And we looked at at the book of Joel and, and the time of the day of the Lord and the destruction that would come and the judgment would come. Zephaniah 1 says, verse 14. Near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming quickly. Listen to the day of the Lord. In it is the warrior cries out bitterly. A day of wrath is that day. A day of trouble and distress. A day of destruction and desolation. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and the high corner towers. I will bring distress on men so that they will Walk like the blind, because they have sinned against the Lord, and their blood will be poured out like dust, and their flesh like dung. Neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them on the day of the Lord's wrath. And all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy, for he will make a complete end, indeed a terrifying one, of all the inhabitants of the earth. And so over and over in Scripture, we hear these descriptions that the day of the Lord, is going, when it begins, is going to be a time of judgment. It is a time where they will, well, God will pour out His wrath on sinners. Its arrival will be sudden, and it will happen. And so as the Thessalonians... As Paul went to the Thessalonians, remember, he is bringing the Old Testament with him. He could have instructed them from the Old Testament. These themes go all the way through the Old Testament. Ezekiel, Joel, Zephaniah, Jeremiah, all of these books contain references to the the day of the Lord. So Paul says, there's nothing to be written to you because it's already been written. 
But not only did the prophets speak of this, we also find it in Jesus' writings, in his teachings. Now, we want to make very, very clear right off the hop, they did not have Matthew here, right? They did not have the writings of Jesus as, as in Matthew, but they would have maybe had oral testimonies that came from those who were with Christ. Oral traditions that the, maybe even Paul himself brought. We can look at, and again, his, Jesus' teaching on the day of the Lord are summarized in the gospel. And you can see that in Matthew 24 on the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus was on the Mount of Olives and he described the coming day of the Lord. He says in Matthew 24, 21, Jesus says, Then there will be great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will be. And so we don't have time to look through Jesus' teaching, but there would have been some of these ideas would have been available to them through, through the teachings of Christ that came down from others. And so Jesus reiterated the same truths of the prophets in his life. And that was the same emphasis that, of, of destruction and pain that comes that was in Jesus' teaching was also in Amos, Joel, Isaiah, and Ezekiel. We get the apostolic writings and we have this again affirmed in Acts chapter 20. Peter delivers his famous Pentecost sermon and he teaches that the Lord and he quotes from about the day of the Lord and he quotes Joel 2. And he says, the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon into blood before this great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. Again, Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 3, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with an intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. The things, what I want you to notice is this. Paul taught this to a new church. Paul didn't say, here's something that you don't need to know. We'll teach you that later. Paul has introduced this to the the young church in Thessalonica. Whoa. At least it wasn't Corinth, right? So... And so we know this. This doctrine was repeated through the Old Testament. It was repeated by the Lord Jesus Christ. It was even repeated by the apostles in the New Testament. And Paul says, I'm teaching you about this time, the day of the Lord. There's a judgment that's coming and you need, this isn't something that's periphery. This isn't a secondary issue. This is something that you need to know. You need to recognize that the day of the Lord is, is already been testified to. It is something that is coming. It is real. It is, it is inevitable. Paul even says when he writes 2 Thessalonians, and remember he writes 2 Thessalonians shortly after 1 Thessalonians, he still has not gone back. To Thessalonica, and he says in, in 2 verse 5, Do you remember that while I was still with you, I was what? Telling you these things. I was telling you these things. 
And so we could say this, the day of the Lord and the teaching of the judgment to come is foundational to the faith. It is a foundational doctrine that we must teach. You must know. It's not something that we paint off into a corner as if we're embarrassed by God's judgment. It is something that we must, we must understand. It is something that we must know. It is something that is an undeniable reality. And therefore, it must be known. And it must be taught. Now, how does that sound by those who would say, well, we don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to talk about judgment. We just want everybody to be happy. That's not what Scripture teaches. God is holy and He will judge. And when He returns, there will be catastrophic punishment that is placed out. We must not downplay that to a lost world. We must not downplay it to ourselves. It must be something that we grapple with. It is something that we must understand. So we look at the testimony of the day of the Lord. Now we come to look at the timing of the day of the Lord. And so Paul here again, as he is addressing them, as he wants to address our anxieties around the day of the Lord, he says, not only must you realize that the day of the Lord has been documented, it has been set out as a reality. It is not something that has just sprung new, but it is something that has been taught consistently through Scripture. It is something that is established in the teaching of the Word of God. He says, now he says, I want you to see the timing of the day of the Lord. Look at verse 2. Paul says, for you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now he begins to explain why they don't need to know anything. Why doesn't he need to write to them? Well, he begins to explain that. Why is there no need for you, for them to have anything written to them? Well, he says, for you yourselves know full well. He says, you already know this. He says, and he, he adds that little adverb there, full. He says, you, you know full well. He's adding this little adverb that emphasizes accuracy and exactness. It has the idea of, of, of tracing down to the last, last and minutest detail. It implies an exactness of knowledge as the result of careful teaching. Paul says, you've already been taught on this. You know full well, the reason I don't have to write to you because I've already taught you and I've taught you in detail and accurately with exactness. So what did Paul teach them? What do they know? What is it that they know that they don't need to know? You know full well what? What did they know? What had they gleaned from his teaching? Paul says that the Lord that the Lord is going to come. It's going to come. The day of the Lord is going to come. 
Now, that's an interesting word, the word for come here. In our English translations, it appears as a future. It will come. But here in the original, it's a present tense. It would literally read, the day of the Lord is coming, or simply, it comes. It comes just like a thief in the night. Now you can say, what, what, what difference does that make? I'm glad you asked. The emphasis here is on the present tense. It is, is to add vividness and certainty to the fact that the day of the Lord is coming. I want you to think about it. I want you to know that it is coming. This day is not a day that may or may not come. It's coming's not up in the air as if, as if it could or might happen. As one writer said, this is not something which the, in which the verdict is still out. It's not like they're going out there and the judge is making a decision or the jury's back in the room deliberating. No, in fact, the idea is that it is so sure, so real, that it is already on its way. It's what when you order a package from Google, right? You go on there and you, and you Google your package and what do you see? It's, it's left the depot, it's out for delivery. And he says, the day of the Lord is out for delivery. The package is already left. It's as if it's already on its way. We've seen the same idea back in chapter 1, verse 10. When we were in, in chapter 1, verse 10, we saw that there, Paul, where Paul gave thanks to the Lord for the conversion of the Thessalonians, and he described their conversion this way. He said, as those who are waiting for Jesus, waiting for God's Son from heaven, who God raised from the dead, that is Jesus who rescues us from what? The wrath to come. And again, it's translated, it's, it's, it's coming in the future. But again, this is a present tense. The wrath is coming is really the, how you could translate that. The wrath is already coming. It's on its way. Jesus rescues believers from the impending wrath. So sure is the wrath in chapter 2, verse 16. Paul even refers to it as, as, as if it has already arrived. He says in 2.16, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. He speaks as if it's already happened. Now it hadn't. We know that the day of the Lord is still coming. It's still future. But Paul is so sure of it, he says, it's like it's here already. It's left the depot. It's out for delivery. It's on its way. So sure that Paul can talk about it as if it is already past. That's how definite Paul is about the day of the Lord and its arrival. So he says, the day of the Lord, it's coming. It's on its way. It's out for delivery. And then he says, now we describe how, that, how it's coming. Now he, notice how he describes that coming. He says, it comes just like a thief in the night. Now, we've already saw that with a few references to the Old Testament prophets about this day, it was, they said it was near. 
The prophets testified that it was going to come suddenly, unexpectedly, without any previous warning. In fact, it had already been announced. It had already been said that it was coming. And there was no need to wait for any prophetic, uh, prophetic, uh, what's the word I want? Um, any, any prophecy to be fulfilled. That's what I was trying to say. Any prophecy to be filled. There's no events on the God's calendar that are left before this takes place. You don't need, you don't need to wait and say, hey, not until this, hap- this event happens. We have to share the gospel to every single nation. No, he says, actually, it's, it can happen at any time. It can happen suddenly. It's on its way. He uses this well-known analogy. It's used in elsewhere to, to describe that in Matthew, about a thief coming. Now, everyone knows that a, a, the MO of a thief is to come at night. It's to come suddenly. He doesn't, he doesn't put out a post, right? He doesn't send a note in the mail, if some of you might not know what that is. But he doesn't send a text or a tweet. He doesn't get on Facebook and announce what he's doing, right? He doesn't, he doesn't set it up beforehand. He doesn't come out and, and announce what he's doing. He's coming at night. He comes under the cover of darkness when people are asleep, defenseless, where, they, where they're not watchful, where they're not alert, where they're not conscious, where they're sleeping. This is not from personal experience, by the way. I, I'm not telling you about this from personal experience. I was talking to Morris, however, and he said that this is the way it worked. But, sorry, Morris. But, he, but, this, but the idea here is, is that the thief is coming what? Unexpectedly. He, just, he doesn't announce that he's coming, right? We read in Matthew that if, if you knew he was coming, you would be alert. And here he says there's nothing to demonstrate that. Now, it's interesting that early tradition arose in the church that the Lord would come again at night, right? Like a thief in the night. Oh, so God's got to come at night. And so it was apparently stimulated by Paul's phrase in the night. And so they begin to have Easter services, and the expectation gave rise to observance of night vigils. Why? Because Christ is coming at night. Well, that's not the point. The point is suddenness, right? It's, it's, it's suddenness, not the time. So again, the day of the Lord will come like a thief of the night. It will come without warning. There will be, it will become unannounced. Now the fact that the day of the Lord is coming unannounced would also indicate to us that we cannot predict when it will come. It automatically eliminates our desire to do what? Date setting. Date setting. So we want to be careful that when we think of the day of the Lord and we think about his return, that we don't start to try to to say, hey, I think it's here, and so I have so many days before that judgment comes, and and therefore I I can do what I please, or I have this amount of time. And so Paul is saying, he says, there is no way to predict this. <laughs> One writer puts it, as he writes to the Thessalonians, you yourselves know full well that what? You cannot know. 
You full well know that what you cannot know. So stop trying to ask me about when this will take place. You can't know. You can't predict it. You can't set a date. It is what we call imminent. It can happen at any time. Now, what that, as one writer says, this does not mean that it will come soon, but it does mean that it could come at any time. And when it does, it will come suddenly and without warning. Warning has already been given. No further advance warning is promised, and none should be expected. So it's an unpredictable time. We, we can't know when this day will come. We can't know when this will start. Well, now, if we remember our teaching from chapter 4, we recognize that there was an event that was taking place, the snatching away of the church up to Christ when he comes to meet us in the air. And there was no signs and warnings for that either. That was imminent. It could happen at any time. So how does that relate to this? Well, it simply would mean this. If the rapture of the church is imminent and there are no signs, and the day of the Lord is imminent and there are no signs, then they must happen essentially at the same time. They must come at the same time. One cannot precede the other. If one precedes the other, then how can the other one be imminent? In other words, we would know that it's on its way. You cannot predict when it will come. You can't predict when the rapture is coming. You cannot predict when the Lord is coming in the day of the Lord. One commentator says, only if the rapture coincides with the beginning of the day of the Lord can both be imminent and the salvation of those in Christ coincide with the coming of the wrath to the rest of the world. Whether either the rapture or the day of the Lord to precede the other, one or the other would cease to be an imminent prospect, an imminent prospect, and thus Thief in the night and related expressions would be inappropriate. The day of the Lord, as much as the rapture, is unpredictable. And Paul emphasized this to the Thessalonians. Listen, he says, the day of the Lord is a revealed and disputable truth, and the day of the Lord, simply we cannot know the timing of it. Stop trying to figure out when it's coming. We cannot know that. Now we get to to our third point. Not only do we see the timing, not only do we have the testimony to it, but now we see the, the unmistakable target of the day of the Lord. He says in verse three, while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child and they will not escape. Now, verse 3 does not really add anything of significance to verse 2. 
right? He doesn't, this doesn't really add anything to what's just been said. So why does Paul use another analogy here? What, what is he trying to get at? If he's not actually adding to verse 2, why does he use this analogy? He does this in order to create a contrast and to build the contrast between they and you. Now, if we look at this passage, he says, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. There's that they. But you, brethren, are not of the darkness, for you are sons of light. But then let us not sleep. So again, there are those who, there are the they, And there are the you. And he's making a distinction here between sinners and saints. He's making a distinction between those who are the Lord's and those who are not. There are those who the day of the Lord will come with destruction upon the sinners who are saying peace and safety. And there are those who will receive, be recipients of salvation, the church, and will be rescued and will receive blessings. So he says, these sinners, these ones who are opposed to God are saying, peace and safety. And again, this is a present tense, denotes that they will be continually and repeatedly assuring themselves that there is peace everywhere and that everything is safe. Now again, this, this term, peace and safety, will lead us back to the Old Testament especially to the book of Jeremiah, as Jeremiah dealt with the false prophets in his day. These prophets would come and they would say, actually, you guess what? I know that there have, there's been prophesied judgments on us. I know that it says that God's going to punish us. But guess what? It's really not that bad. God's judgment I know Jeremiah talks about judgment on, on, the, on the nation, but guess what? It's, it's not that bad. It's going to be okay. We'll get through it. It's, not gonna, it's going to be short. Don't be alarmed by that. And so they tried to downplay that. They tried to downplay the seriousness of it. Peace and safety. We see that in Jeremiah. As we read through it, Jeremiah 6, 8, chapter 14. And so Paul picks it up here and he says there's going to come a time where they're going to say, listen, peace and safety. Where they're going to say everything's fine. Peace refers to intertwined, whoa. (laughs) Sound like Tweety Bird there. (laughs) Peace referring to inner tranquility, the absence of anxiety. Uh, In other words, we're going to create a culture of of peace a place where everybody's happy it's going to be a topa a utopia everything's under control sound familiar we're going to create a utopia where everyone is what happy right it's all you're going to have this inward happiness and so if we can just create society in the way that we say we can achieve this So, so too, these false teachers. Then safety. Freedom from, is described as freedom from outside interference. 
And so Paul describes here those who are saying, look, there's going to be peace and safety. Don't worry about what's happening around us. We can create peace and safety. And so those who are outside the church will will be saying, God's God's not coming. God's not going to judge us. God's not going to... There's, there's security and safety and tranquility for us. Just, just relax. In fact, all the promises of God are not true because really we don't even believe that God exists. It says when they're saying in the midst of that, maybe we could say this, even as they're saying peace and safety, as they're crying out, even, even though they can see that things are not good, Maybe in mid-sentence, Paul says, then suddenly, then suddenly. The word order in the original puts the emphasis on suddenness here. It's going to come quickly out of the blue. We could literally translate this. Then suddenly upon them befalls destruction. It's going to come quickly and unexpectedly. And suddenness And the word destruction here, he says there's destruction going to fall upon him. And again, it doesn't refer to annihilation. It doesn't refer to being uh, uh, the destruction of being. In other words, it doesn't talk about going out of existence. But it it has the idea of separation of God and and the separation from well-being. It refers to utter hopelessness and ruin. The loss of anything that gives worth to existence. And this word destruction is, is the kind of word that is summarized by the word wrath. We saw back in verse 110 that the believers in Thessalonica, as part of their robust faith, were waiting from, for Jesus from heaven who would rescue, rescue them from the wrath that is coming. Jesus would be the one who would preserve them from it. And so we could say this, The day of the Lord, this destruction is completely the opposite of peace and safety. It's not safety at all. It's the type of destruction that Revelation chapter 9, 6 describes as a kind of destruction where men will long to die and be unable to. This is the wrath of God being poured out. It is hopeless. And Paul says it will come. It will befall them. Again, he uses the present tense here for vividness. It's something that you can't put off. It's something that you need to realize that it's on its way. The the idea of befalling is the idea here of someone who goes on a journey as it were and something suddenly the worst kind of horror misfortune falls upon them as they are as they are going along then out of the blue horror and misfortune in fact Paul describes this destruction as labor pains labor pains he uses an analogy that would be familiar to many those of childbirth. And Paul uses this analogy to emphasize the onslaught of of this pain in such a way that once it starts, these pains cannot be paused. All right? 
The destruction will come suddenly like labor pains upon a woman with child. There is no way to put it off. The process just takes over. And in the same way a woman is he- who is heavy with child, at that, at that time when it comes and the contraction starts, it's on its way. Right? Now, I'm not saying, and I would say this, the pregnant woman recognizes it's getting close. And I do think that as we look around the world, we can see that things are headed to the point where God would judge them. But we don't know when those birth pangs will start. And so we do know that there, you don't set your clock and say contractions are going to start at one so we can be done by four o'clock, right? We don't, that doesn't happen. The process starts on its own and it continues on its own. And we have to understand that in that day, birthing was much more difficult than today. Today we rush to the hospital, we can. Sometimes we can take some painkillers to help us. We have much more medical help. But in those days, not only did, did when the contractions started, did it mean that the child was on its way, but there was also, this was a time where a woman was most in danger of what? Dying of dying in childbirth. There was nothing that you could do once it was start. So again, Isaiah talks about judgment coming and men writhing like a woman in labor under the pain of God's judgment. It's an unpredictable day. It's an unpredictable time and it will come and it will it is inevitable. And then he says in verse 3, and they will not escape. This is a very strong negation, a double negation. This means there is no means of escape. There is no, absolutely no way that it happens. No exceptions. The judgment is severe. The judgment will come upon all those in the category who are crying peace and safety, all those who do not belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this judgment is total. It is final. It is for the unbeliever. And so as Paul describes this day, he again tells us, listen, there's coming a day. It has been set In stone, in scripture, it has been talked about. You must realize that it is coming. Recognize you don't know when it's going to start. And recognize that there is a group of people who will be under the judgment of God when that day starts. And he calls us to look at that and he says, If you're a believer, praise the Lord that you're not under this. If you're a believer, then your heart should be struck to share the gospel with those who are under this judgment. If you are an unbeliever, you need to take this seriously because this day will overtake you. If you're alive when it starts, you will be under the wrath of God. And you do not want to face the wrath of God. And so there's a call here to say, am I a you or am I a they? Am I a believer or am I an unbeliever? And Paul says, make no mistake. 
This day has been set long ago. It is on its way and it will hit its target. Don't be one of those who is going to be hit and targeted by this. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent of your sin. Call, believe in his finished work on the cross. Understand that he died for sin. He lived a perfect life, died for sin, rose again, and he is coming back. Jesus said he has been given all power to judge, and trust me, when the judgment starts, Christ will pour out his wrath on all those who do not believe. So this morning, turn to him. Don't be caught in the day of the Lord. Don't be under the judgment that comes. Make sure you're not in the targeted group. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the warnings that are in it. And I pray that this morning that we, as we contemplate the day of the Lord and the, the pouring out of your wrath, that we will not be those who are caught under it. I pray that we would be those who turn to you so that we can avoid that wrath. Pray that you would give us a heart for those who will face that wrath and that we will share the gospel with those who do not. And above all, I pray that we will praise and glorify you for rescuing us from that day. And we look forward to that time where we will be with you and see you face to face. I pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen.